Welcome to Death Watch's Call of Cthulhu campaign season 2, Descent into Darkness. My name is Travis, I'll be your keeper tonight. Before we get started, uh, let's just introduce all the players and the characters they're playing, and we'll start with you, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm playing Johann Muller, a German or retired German historian living in America. <laughs> I'm Brandon, playing Dr. Wallace Andrews, um, Dr. Who currently lives in Boston, Massachusetts, involved in investigating the strange death of Dr. or Mr. Dooley. I'm Justin, playing Lance Monroe, curator of a museum of the occult and gregarious investigator of the mysterious. I'm John, I'm playing James Whitmire, the uh, sometimes criminal, but all-around good guy. Well, last we left off, Johan was on the banks of the Miskatonic, shoeless, sockless, with a handful of hair. But we'll leave him there for a while yet, and we'll begin the session with the good Dr. Andrews. So, you had been left almost alone in the bar while Whitmire and Monroe went up to the library. So, since you were free of most distractions... You have been afforded an opportunity to peruse Mr. Dooley's personal journal, along with the other evidence in your possession. And after a bit of reading, you begin to gain an impression that Mr. Dooley had a real paternal love for his nephew, or at least a strong sense of duty about taking care of him. But he also had a frustration with the boy's odd behavior, although nothing you read in the journal seems like undue frustration. Aside from that, there's a strong thread of grief over the death of his sister, who was taken by the Spanish flu like your wife and daughter. And the other thing that stands out to you is a strong disdain for authority, and that seems to stem from prohibition and the fact that he's had a long-time dream to also turn Mr. Dooley's into a bar. Um, but there's enough detail in what you've read that... Even though you're not, you know, a psychotherapist, you did go to medical school and you did learn about diseases of the mind. And perhaps you've done study on your own because your sister's in a sanitarium. Which one was she in? Do you remember? Did you have that detail or she's just in a sanitarium? Yeah. Um, just uh, let me let me check real quick because I think I did write it down. Um, oh, no, just a sanitarium. I, I didn't have the specific one. Okay, so, uh, yeah, you can attempt with a hard medicine role to at least form a hypothesis about what afflicts Charlie Murphy, Mr. Dooley's nephew. Okay, um, I have failed. Indeed. Well, it is hard to make a diagnosis, you know, secondhand based off of somebody's journal, so nothing in your medical school or nothing you've read after your graduation springs to mind and seems to fit the way he describes his nephew behaving. But 
as far as the details are, it's you know there are he has certain um, behavior where he he orders things in in such a way, and uh, he will actually get frustrated with, or he would get frustrated with Mister Dooley if he, you know the order of his things were were messed up in any way. That, that's that was communicated in one little anecdote in Mister Dooley's journal. A couple more things. Your standing with the order has risen by 1d6 points due to favorable interactions with order members Dr. Call and James Clark. So you can roll a 1d6 and add that to your order standing skill. Nice. And that's in the the skill tab on your character sheet under the additional. Got it. Um, speaking of Dr. Call, he's managed to actually sit at the bar quietly while you read, although... You have looked up and seen a certain excited tension about the man. He would look at the items of evidence you're perusing with open curiosity, but he does have the good grace not to interrupt you. Although at one point, he does say something or kind of mutter something that you hear. He's like, I don't think that Mr. Whitmire is entirely honest of a person. But he seems to be excited at the prospect, you know. Uh, But go ahead and give me a listen check. I have succeeded extremely. So you hear somebody come into the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight, and uh, they greet some of the people out in the lounge, and um, you recognize the voice. It was at the dinner that you guys had after your initiation. You know, it's that booming sort of voice that's used to giving command, and you recognize it as the voice of Police Sergeant Logan Terry, who I think, Whitmire, you communicated... I know you had sent them a telegram, but they left before they were able to get it. But I felt, even though we didn't do it explicitly, you almost certain would have certainly would have told them about Sergeant Logan Terry. Is that correct? Yes. So yeah, um, Andrews, you have fresh in your mind that Logan Terry is perhaps not something to be or somebody to be trusted. What specific details did you give of the situation, Whitmire? I told him about uh, him trying to warn us away from the investigation and then my uh, unwilling meeting with him where he was trying to get me to do illegal things. And everybody knows that I walk the straight and narrow when it comes to the law. Right. In any case, he makes his greetings (laughs) to the men in the lounge and uh, he heads towards the bar where... You and Dr. Call, or Andrews and Dr. Call, have been this whole time. And he, he greets you, and he's like, gentlemen, how are you doing? Um, well, I'll just, I'll give a polite hello. Yeah, and, and Dr. Call doesn't seem to favor the man very much, but he also does the same thing, a polite hello. Uh, but you can see that Logan Terry looks at you with special interest, and he says, oh, you're one of the new recruits, one of James Whitmire's friends, is that right? I am an acquaintance of Mr. Whitmire, yes, and a new recruit. Oh, well, it's always good to have new blood. Um, I'm sorry to hear he left Boston. Uh, we had a, a philosophical disagreement when we last spoke, and I had hoped for the opportunity to continue the discourse. Do you know when he'll be returning? Uh, no. No, I'm afraid I have no idea. Maybe never. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, he did, or he didn't mention it, but, you know, I've heard that you're all part of the same society. I forget the name, the long one. Uh, You know, he had said uh, 
he was investigating a murder case. Were, were you part of that as well? All right. So, like, since I know that, you know, he was trying to push James off of this, then I don't want to tell him the truth. So, so I'll be like, no, of course not. I'm a doctor, not a invest, not a murder detective. Okay. So, you know, you know, Whitmire uses fast talk a lot because he's highly skilled in it, but lying doesn't necessarily always mean fast talk. It, uh, it depends on the way in which you're doing it. You know, you can use any social skill and convey a lie. So you could use persuade if you're good at that, which yeah. means, you know, you'd be stuck in a conversation down here with him for a little while, or you could do charm to throw him off. Did you want to take one of those tactics? Yeah, it'll have to be persuade. That's my best one. And uh, do you have any idea in your head, like how you might do that? Or you just want to leave it to the skill roll? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll lean on the fact that it, it is technically not something a doctor generally does, right? Investigating some old murder. So the general tone will be something of like, oh, I wouldn't even know where to begin investigating a murder, you know? Right. So so you're persuading him around to the idea that you have a uh, especially large lack of qualities that would even make you good at doing that. Yeah. And I'm so busy being a new member of this lodge and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know where to start. OK. Yeah. You can go ahead and um, throw that out. I have uh, failed. <laughs> damn. OK. One second. Push it. Push it. No, no, it's okay if I fail. Because, <laughs> um, you know, because I know from Mr. from James, the sort of man we're dealing with, it's like, it's fine with me if he knows I'm not telling him the truth. I'll stubbornly stick to it. Okay. Yeah, you, um, you haven't had a lot of run-ins with police, but uh, he doesn't press the issue. But, you know, you see his, his eyes narrow. And you could actually throw out a psychology to get a clearer picture on whether or not he, he uh, you know, what his mindset would be. Yeah, you think that he just dropped it at that point immediately because he's certain that you're someone he'll want to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. Also in the back of your head is you know that Monroe and Whitmire just went up to the Order Library and that's where they're currently at right at this moment. So that's just a little detail for you. Yeah, um, I guess I better take my leave then and go warn him that this guy's here. Yeah, as you head out, he um, he says, we'll see you around, doctor. Uh, yes, hopefully so. Have a good day, sir. Yeah, and Dr. Call gets on your heels, and he's kind of looking back at Logan Terry and at you with curiosity at the whole exchange because he picked up on the, the tone and tenor of the words... And when you get a sufficient distance away, when you get to the stairs that lead up to the second level, he's like, oh, what was that all about? That was less than cordial, I dare say. Yes, well, uh, Logan Terry is not an ally in this investigation. And James Whitmire had an encounter with him where he, um, uh, an unpleasant encounter where he's attempted to force Whitmire um, from taking part in this investigation. So for whatever reason, he is at cross purposes with us. And now I'm going to 
warn James that he's here in the building. But there are people who are against us investigating this particular murder. I mean, I've had my own experiences with two hired thugs uh, approaching me to warn me from asking any more questions. So there is some danger to this game, Dr. Call. I must warn you. It'd be a good time for you to take your leave of it, and I wouldn't think any less of you. Uh, no need, Dr. Andrews. I will stand fast. You can count on me. This is just like one of my detective novels. <laughs> You're a good uh, man, Dr. Right. Call. Oh, thank you. So we'll uh, we'll just switch over to um, Whitmire and Andrews up there in the library. Let me set the map up real quick. Can you remind me what we were doing up here? We were kind of biding our time, uh, just kind of looking through stuff uh Kind of searching for that eye or this, what was the uh, name of it? I've got it in my journal. Um, let's see, the Order of Starry Wisdom or something like that. Okay. Yeah, Cult of the Starry Wisdom. Uh, so looking for any references in that while we uh, bide our time before we go and meet the uh, detective for dinner. Okay. So do you want like a library use to see how successful we've been? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. There's another person in the room with us. Yeah. Has He's he been watching. here the whole time? Yeah, you guys um, came in on him. Uh, but he's been reading quietly. And he only gave you a... Looked up from his book and gave you a nod. All right. So, back in the library of the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight. A um, couple things first as well. Monroe, your standing with the Order has increased by 1d6. Due to your favorable interactions with Dr. Call and James Clark. Okay. Let's see what we get. Not too bad. Congratulations. Uh, Whitmire, on the other hand, your standing with the order has decreased oh. by 1d10 to, to a minimum of one. And that's due to your interactions with order member and police sergeant Logan Terry. Well, he's not Down a real one. member. <laughs> Can you go that low? I don't know. A minimum of one. So I think you guys started with five. That just brought you down to one. Yeah. Order standing flex. Yep. Um, yeah, so you've been um, up here searching again for something new and interesting, but I, you know, nothing in the books that you've looked at has jumped out at you, but I will take a bot hidden roll from each of you. If you would prefer Whitmire, you could actually use your stealth if that's higher, but it looks like your spot hidden is pretty good. Yeah, um, I'm buried in books. Is this before I'm there? Yes. Okay. So, Whitmire, you see a a tattered paperback of all things. It's not on the shelf. It's actually on top of one of the shelves. You just happen to, you know, catch part of it uh, poking out. And I think okay. last last time we left off, um, Whitmire, you had said you were just kind of idly browsing, so it kind of makes sense that you're the one to pick it up. And what is it that uh, draws me to this? Well, you were kind of, you know, anytime you're in a room, you're sort of looking for things where interesting items might be stored. And also, you know, you just look at for exits or interesting notes in the room. So you just happen to be looking up at the bookshelves, which were quite tall. You know, they're some 10 feet tall. And you just saw that corner of the paperback sticking off the shelf there. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll reach out and grab it and... Start. I'll look at the uh, title or the uh, cover page and the back. 
Well, I'll pause you before you reach out and grab it because you you do realize that you would have to at least get a step stool or one of the chairs. Oh, do they have one of those uh, little rolling ladders? Not the ladder, but you do see, after a short time looking around the room, that there's a step stool sort of tucked in between two of the shelves. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll make my way over to wherever that is. All right. So when you grab the book, like I said, it's a paperback. It's been well read, and the name on the cover is called Nameless Cults, and it's in these sort of garish, pulpy letters uh, that remind you of the pulps that run in magazines and whatnot. But it does appear to be written in English, and it's published by Golden Goblin Press of New York. Is there an author? Bridewell is the last name. Okay. So... I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look on the, the, uh, you know, back of it, or in the jacket, or I guess it's paperback, so yeah, just, uh, on the back of it, see if there's any information, I don't know if they, if that's always been around or not, but. Yeah, it is, it is lacking in, uh, those sorts of things, it was just the, the title in those pulpy letters, and then you had your copyright information on the front page, and then, the, you know, you had a title page again, so Nameless Cults, and then uh, translated from Bridewell Text is what it says, the original German Bridewell Text. And then from there, it launches into what the book was about. And you think looking at it, you know, to um, to get some idea, you know, you might have to spend at least a night with it, you know, skimming it to get more information about it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll... I'll uh, sit down on that stool or the uh, little stepladder and start reading it. Okay, so at that point, uh, well, actually, does that name ring a bell for either of you? Nameless Colts. Wasn't it? Nameless Colts, yeah. No, not that I can remember. Okay. Uh, hold on, let me look back through. Well, you can, you can do that. I'll have Andrews and Dr. Call enter the scene. Um, Dr. Call, please keep an eye out and, uh, in case he followed us. Okay, I shall remain by the stairs, ever vigilant. Thank you, but don't look obvious about it. Act natural. Of course. But not too natural. Of course. All right, so I'll look around. I don't think I've been in this room before, so what's it look like in here? Okay, so you have three of the walls dominated by bookshelves, and they would be off to the left as you enter the room. And they have a table, you know, for spreading out books or notes or whatever. And then they have reading chairs. And that's pretty much it. There's no windows outside of the room. There's just the one entry, as you can see on the map. And inside currently are Mr. Monroe, Mr. Whitmire, and a person you haven't been introduced yet. But you can see he's actually wearing, he appears to be Catholic. But, you know, he's actually wearing, like, minister clothes. Okay. Um... All right, so then I'll just go right to James, say, Whitmire, uh, there's a, a Sergeant Logan Terry in the building at this very moment down in the bar. And so I know you had an experience with him. I thought you might want to know that he's here. And he was asking about you. He said he was disappointed to hear that you'd left Boston and asked when, if I knew when you would return. All right, I'll, uh, so I'll, I'll try to keep my cool. But I'll, I'll, uh, my eyes will slide over to that Hector McDonald, uh, try and gauge whether or not he heard any of this. Yeah, go ahead and give me a psychology roll. 
Uh, he seems to be absorbed with his book, so he's either doing a fair job at pretending to do that, or he legitimately is not paying attention. Okay. So I'll, uh, I will ask, um, Dr. Andrews what, what he said. Like, did you, did you tell him that I was up here? Uh, no. Um, when he asked if I knew when you would return to Boston, I said I had no idea and that it, it, you might never return to Boston. I think that he knew I was lying, but I can't be sure. All right. So, yeah, I'll uh, start looking around, not like uh, frantically, just uh, you know, trying to gauge best exit and uh, more to myself say I, I've got to get out of here. And then... Uh, what, I guess, what is, other than going downstairs, what have I clocked as the best exit from this library or the second floor? Well, when you were doing your reconnaissance earlier in the bushes, you did see that there was a fire escape on the um, west side of the building. Uh, so, you know, you would have to go through the lodge room and to access it. Other than that, there are windows, just none in the library. Okay. There were some in the preparation room where you guys roped up to do the initiation. Were there any fire escapes that area? No, there was just the one on the west side of the building. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I'll tell uh, Dr. Andrews to, to follow me and I'll... Okay, where are we going? Try to make my way into this, uh, onto that west side. Well, I'll follow him. Well, I'm sorry. Um, I would like to to um in a lower tone stop by uh Lance and tell him that uh you know Logan Terry's downstairs uh apparently he's asking about me as if you run into him uh, oh my I good friend him. I'll take I care of this with, without an without an incident yeah. okay don't tell and him I'll, that I'm I'll, here I'll take that and I'll head downstairs to talk to him <laughs> I'll, okay uh shake my head and um Move, try to move quicker out of the library. All right. And you guys were heading to the lodge room? Yeah. That's, heading towards the west side? Yeah. As that's where I was going to, as when, when we get in that area, I wanted to explain what, uh, what that meeting with Logan Terry was actually about, as how he was trying to get me to, to spy on this, uh, headmaster at a, a girl's high school. Or a girl's school, and uh, he wanted me to, he wanted me to to uh, grab this gun that he had. He kept saying that it was for leverage, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm not stupid. Uh, you don't you're not gonna last very long on the streets if you go around just grabbing any old weapon that a cop puts in front of you. So this is an officer of bad character, extremely. Well, I suppose it is best that we make ourselves scarce then. But if anybody's capable of distracting him long enough for us to get out of here, then it's definitely Monroe. Yeah, my only concern is is that he is going to tell him that I'm right upstairs or something. As you know how <laughs> how he can be sometimes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's make our escape then. Do you have a path in mind? Well, there was a fire escape, and I imagine by this time we could probably be in this this room, lodge. Yeah, yeah, you guys head into the lodge room, which is currently empty at the moment and well lit. 
and you see the you know the rows of chairs for members to witness initiations or or other things that happen here like you've heard some talk about uh, a vote on which charities to support over the summer coming up in the next couple of weeks that sort of thing so they would handle that stuff here now it's not obvious where to go from here because you don't see any uh exits you just see the dais where the noble philosopher stood and gave his lecture and behind that uh, a big red drape but you can either do both of you can either do spot hidden or navigation whichever you might be better in yeah so after a quick perusal of the room both of you have had successes but we'll give the nod to whitmire as you were a little better at it okay and you just you see you know you take a peek behind that drape and you see that there's a door behind there, which makes sense now that you think of it, because the uh, noble philosopher John Scott came out from behind that drape. So let me open that door for you. Because I'm going to tell Andrews as well that it it might look it might be a little weird if uh, if you came up here and then disappeared, um, but I'm not opposed to having you you come out here with me. Uh, where's your car though? Yeah, I don't have one. I've been using public transportation, but you're you're right. It would it would look odd if I just disappeared. So I think I'll make my way back out, and uh, you'll have to get to safety on your own. All right. Um, when it's when it's uh, when you guys are alone, let uh, Monroe know that I'll meet him up at the uh, Muscatonic uh, University. Uh, oh. tomorrow and okay. tell the detective you know sorry i missed dinner was, uh, i had to make a trip out of town was the the more people that reinforce that i'm out of town the better i i will let them know stay safe you too friend and then we shared a moment <laughs> <laughs> you guys do the secret order handshake before you you uh parted ways it takes too long <laughs> yeah, I was thinking uh, we'll have to have a dex check every time you guys want to do it successfully. <laughs> uh, all right, Mr. Whitmire. So you see um, this comes into a short hall, which off to your right, you see some stairs that lead up presumably to the third level. And off to your left, you see a door that leads into a room. You're not sure of its contents. But straight ahead should be the door that goes out to the outside fire escape. But we will hold with you there and see how Monroe is doing in his efforts to distract Logan Terry. So, Mr. Monroe, how, how do you make your entrance into the bar? As grand as possible as always. Um, so I'll kind of walk through the door as if I'm just coming in for a drink. And then when I see the officer, you know, my face will light up and I'll say, ah, my good, my good officer, I believe I've been looking for you and you're, you're quite an elusive subject. May I join you? Of course. And he looks at you with the same interest he gave to um, Dr. Andrews. And at this time, there's the bartender who was shooed off earlier by Whitmire so he could mix the drinks has gone back to his duties and he'll take your order. Yeah. And I'll say, uh, Mr. Terry, please allow me to buy you a drink as they are free. I, I can afford it. Well, aren't you a wise guy? And uh, uh. <laughs> he... <laughs> One detail you noticed when you came in was he was sort of looking at the bar 
you know, swirling his drink around in the glass, but you could see that muscle working in his jaw uh, and anger on his face as he was staring at the bar. But when you made your grand entrance, that's wiped free as he turns to look at you. And But there's still a hint of it. You know, it seemed like he wanted to say, well, ain't you a wise guy with, you know, some sort of camaraderie, you know, like, you know, taking the piss type attitude, but it was actually a little too harsh. But anyhow, carry on. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll sit down and say, uh, yes, a wise guy in these days and ages, being wise is a rare thing and a very valuable thing as well. But hey. let me get down, let me get down to business. My, my good, uh, officer or sergeant, is it detective or, or, or are you commissioner now? Uh, sergeant. Sergeant, sergeant. Yes, yes. Good. Uh, quite a high rank. You must be, uh, quite well respected in your profession. Oh, I'd say so. One way or the other, they better respect me. I run a tight ship over there. Ah, that's exactly what I like to hear. Um, actually, I, I, I come with you, come to you um, with a little bit of a, a request, if I may. You know, as as all of us have joined the order for our own our own purposes. One of my purposes was to try to gain contacts and uh, to further, you know, my my circle of rumor whispers that I might be able to draw from in order to expand my my museum. And of course, I'll pull out you know one of my flyers from my museum and sliding across the table to him. And sir, you, you happen to stand in a very particular spot that could be very valuable to me. And I, as I'm sure I can, you know, provide some value to you in, in compensation or recompense. I was wondering, good sir, if, if you would help me with, uh, keeping an ear out for any strange happenings that may result in, mm, I don't know, something that might be able to find its way into my museum as uh, a point of curiosity. Hmm. Yeah, I might do that, but what's in it for me? Well, good sir, that that's where the negotiations begin. If you have any requests of me, then you know you can make them, and I may decide to acquiesce them or decline them at at my own uh, my own peril, as it were. Well, let's see. You're uh, you're friends with Mister Whitmire, aren't you? You guys come from the same society what is it society of uh exploring unexplained things yes 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 you you seem to grasp the concept quite well well i don't know i say leave the the detective work to detectives but uh you know people can have their hobbies yes and everyone's interests are their own and i seek to make a profit off of some people's interests in the occult and some of these strange happenings and unexplained things that have happened in this world well, I don't know about all that, but I do know your buddy Whitmire was here. He said he was looking into a murder. Uh, as far as buddy, you know, I have joined many societies in my attempts to gain, you know, a circle of friends, as it were, or circle of, at the very least, acquaintances that may be able to help me in my endeavors. And <clears throat> just as you are are uh, a member of this order, and so am I, you know, I am a member of the... Uh, society in the same way that James Whitmire is in much the same relationship as you and I have. Uh, he looks at the bartender and um, he says, Hey, can we get some privacy here? And the bartender, he leaves the room and he kind of leans in close and he says, uh, Hey, Mr. Monroe, I don't know what kind of game you're playing here, but I'm smarter than you think. So let's just talk straight with each other. Ah, my good friend, I always talk straight. Please, tell me what it is you wish to hear. I need to know what you and Whitmire and your other friends, the good 
lying Dr. Andrews are doing here in Boston. Because if you're doing what I think you're doing, I say you should leave the cop work to cops. Well, my good sir, as, as you can see, I have my museum here and I am doing as I have always done. I am trying to advance my museum and, you know, shed a little bit of light to the good people of Boston and those visiting on, you know, some of the darker aspects of the world around them. Museum work. What a waste of time. Uh, to each his own, good sir. Just as I appreciate that you work effortlessly and tirelessly to uh, keep the good streets of Boston safe, you know, I, I hope to gather at least a modicum of respect from you in, you know, my attempt to chronicle the, the goings on of, of the past and the things that people would rather, you know, turn a blind eye to most of the time. The things that go bump in the night, as it were. You're something of a poppin' Jay, aren't you? You know what? Uh, I've been called much worse, uh, but I suppose so. I don't know why they let people like you into this order. I got no time for you. Well, sir, you, you have yet to, you know, try and ask me for any kind of information or, you know, favor. So you have yet to scratch the surface of my usefulness. I doubt that. You know, I see all sorts of people in Boston every day. And you get pretty good at telling who's who and what's what. And I know there's nothing under the surface with you, Mr. Monroe. And if it's all the same to you, I'd like to finish my drink in peace. But I want you to know I'll be keeping an eye on you and the good Dr. Andrews. Well, that's your prerogative. Do you believe that we are doing something illegal? No, but I think you could be messing up good police work. Ah, uh, but truly good police work can never be messed up, good sir. True police work is nothing but true justice, as it were. Oh, I disagree. It can be if people who don't know how things work come in and stick their finger in it. This ain't your grandma's pie. Ah, uh, well, some may think my fingers are sticky. They are, in fact, very clean, good sir. I don't know how long you want this conversation to go on, but I think I've had enough. Well, sir, that that upsets me rather, rather grievously, because... I had really hoped to, that things would start off on a, a better footing and that we might develop a, you know, some sort of a working relationship. You know, I, I'm not asking you to break the law in any way, shape, or form. I'm just simply hoping that as fellow members of the order that, you know, we may be able to, you know, have a discussion once, once in a while on things that you come across or that come across at, uh, your desk that, you know, may, may interest me, you know, especially things around... You know, unexplained things that have happened um, around pagan holidays and things that people would find mysterious and interesting. So you guys have this oil and water thing. It was almost there from, you know, the first words. Uh, yeah. Would you like to alter this with a social skill role? Sure. I can try that. Let's see. Um, so which ones do you think would be relevant to this? Uh, I could. Uh, persuade psychology well you're you're definitely i think persuade or charm would be what i'm getting out of your tactic here now yeah i'm gonna have to go with persuade okay so I don't even see oh yeah i've got low charm so yeah persuade his frustration at whitmire's disappearing act and his cottoning to dr andrew's lie has put him in somewhat of a foul mood so i'll need a hard success with that okay <laughs> nice oh nice <laughs> well done so so yeah I'll, I'll 
kind of lean into that that I see that he's upset. And I'll say, sir, 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 I, I did not mean to upset you by doing this. And if if the companions that I have uh, from the other societies that I have joined in my endeavors have upset you in any way, shape, or form, I truly apologize for that. But please allow me to, to explain that I, well, I may exist in that order that, you know, their their actions are none of my own. And I, I truly do wish to have a professional relationship with you, good sir, despite the fact that we obviously have very differing personalities. Uh, with a heavy sigh, he's like, uh, you know what? You're right. I, uh, I apologize. I'm... Oh, no, no need for apologies, my good, my good man. Well, so you want me to let you know if there's anything strange? Now, I can't speak to the occult or anything like that, but let's pretend that you're not here investigating a murder, and let's say you just want to help out if you really want to help out oh man i don't know there's uh there's some disappearances at harvard that's something police can never get ahead of missing persons hmm, that, is, that is a very interesting thing um do you have any information that i might be able to take a lead on i was actually recently at harvard uh but had not even heard a whisper of that no it's out of my jurisdiction but i keep apprised of everything that goes on in the city i've uh, read what's gone in the papers and in the school paper itself. Uh, I mingle with the detectives there. It's, you know, just a student and a, a professor have both gone missing without a trace, it seems. Uh, those are exactly the kinds of leads that I was hoping you might be able to help me with. And I truly appreciate the the lead on this. Um, You're welcome. As with, as with any, you know, grand grand uh institution such as harvard itself there is always a darker side to it so i i appreciate your effort and i will take my leave now to go and you know see what i can find out about those okay and he yeah he offers his apologies again somewhat now, sincerely although you can still see uh, a slight look of distaste in his eyes at you yeah but i'll stand up i'll I'll hold out my hand to, to shake his hand, and I'll say, thank you, good sir, and I, I truly hope that this is the beginning of a, a good relationship where both of us may be able to benefit. Perhaps I'm, I may be able to stumble in my, my uh, amateur investigation on something that may be able to help the professionals do their job. Okay, so we will pause with you, Mr. Monroe, and with the scene at the Order of the, or the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight, and jump over to Johan. So... Johan, who's been on this odyssey of the mind, <laughs> if someone were tracing his movements, they would know that on the late afternoon of June 12th, he lost time in Widner Library. And then on June 13th, during a morning train to Bolton, you are psychically accosted by a man who represents a group he calls the Consortium. Mm -hmm. And this seems to set off an awakening of repressed memories, manifesting in a state of lucid dream recollection that night right at the cusp of June 14th. And from your perspective, so many millions of years later, so it seems you wake on the gentle banks of the Miskatonic with the afternoon sun warming you nicely. Uh, you can make out which cursed legend-haunted Arkham, whose huddled, sagging gambrel roofs and crumbling balustrades brood out the centuries beside the darkly muttering Miskatonic. So your life up to this point has been a mere 75 years. Mm -hmm which does not balance with the millions you experienced after looking into that strange book. And at first, you uh, wondered at that sensation of being embodied again, because in the book, you were, if 
like a floating consciousness, but maybe not even that really. But then all the aches and pains of old age and the desire to sate both hunger and thirst return to you after the excitement at holding the De Vermis Mysterious in your hands fades. And you have found, uh, as a historian who sometimes loses himself in books, that no matter to which heights the mind might ascend, the limitations of biology are always a grounding force. So it kind of helps you put, put you in the here and now again. Uh, a couple things before I cut you loose here. Your Cthulhu Mythos rating has increased by one. Oh, ah, nice. So having witnessed an event of monumental importance within that book, you know, perhaps the very seeding of all life on planet Earth, you have entered a new phase of perception. However, this troubles you because if life on Earth was indeed engineered by beings great and elder, why did they not return to their creation at any point since? And you have this thought in your head that creation is a mistake or maybe a joke played by these beings. Uh, furthermore, you now have a skill rating of 15 in both biology and geology. Okay. Those are in the sciences one. You'll have to add them individually. Okay. Um, and this is to represent that you have actually seen firsthand events that others can only deduce from, say, looking at core, core samples or examining the fossil record. So you've seen actual moments of evolution and uh, the carving out of valleys, the, the uh, creation of mountains, that sort of thing. However, this knowledge where it rests in your head is uh, it disturbs you and it reminds you of a German, a German poem called Der Jarberlehrling. There's our learning in which a half-trained sorcerer's apprentice uses magic to attend to his chores. But the spell soon goes out of control. And the moral message that you Germans have got from that is a sort of cliche that you might state where you say, the spirits I have summoned, I now cannot rid myself of again. So in your case, this knowledge uh, reminds you of the length of time you had to endure to obtain it. And that can sometimes put a strain on your mind. Mm. So lastly, uh, you are in a state of underlying insanity, <laughs> meaning any further sanity loss will lead to another bout of madness. And furthermore, you may experience delusions. And before I let you act, one way that knowledge of that you gained manifests is you can almost remember the great crush of water and ice that shaped the Miskatonic Valley as you look on it. Mm. So there you are on the banks of the Miskatonic. What would you like to do? Uh, I guess I'll uh, uh, pick up the tome and don my jacket, check to make sure like my billfold is is in there or not. Uh, look for my cane. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, your cane seems to be misplaced to give me a luck roll on the billfold. All right. Yay. Yeah, it's there. You see it's uh, a little soaked, although it has been drying for a little while, but it's yeah, it obtained water a little bit more since it wasn't in direct sunlight. But yeah, it's it's a little soaked. All right. But it's there. But I'll cast about for my shoes, hopefully. No, those are long gone. Uh, Same with your socks. Then... And, you know, you feel some some cuts on your feet, too. As though you have been barefoot for a I, while. I feel that I'll be feeling a whole lot worse aches and pains as the, the day drags on at my age, uh, running yeah. <laughs> around like a maniac. So I guess uh, I'll go over sort of to the uh, river, Miskatonic. Is that what that is? Or is it a... Yeah, it's the Miskatonic. Okay. 
river. And I'll see if there's uh, any chance of viewing my reflection, and I'll try to make myself uh, uh, more proper, tame any wild hairs on my head that remain. Yes, as I described, this is a somewhat gentle, although deep-flowing part of the river, but there at the bank, um, there's a somewhat undisturbed section of the water surface that you're able to pick your reflection out in, and you see in that reflection your remaining hair is flying away in all directions. Do you keep it, like, long around the, the sides uh, I in the he back? probably sports a comb over, so, like, the top part, like, the top side would be long for the purposes of okay. combing over his bald spot. So it, <laughs> there, there could be some flying away, but the rest of it is fairly short. Okay. Yeah, so the, the part you keep for the comb overs, you know, sticking in whichever directions it can, and your shame is exposed to the, the full light of the sun. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll kind of dunk my hands in the water and try to mat it down across my bald spot, or at least bring it, bring it to heel. Yeah, okay, you do as serviceable a job as you can manage. And once done, what's your next move? Uh, to try to make it into a nearby town, get some shoes, and hopefully make contact with uh, my companions, uh, and maybe also figure out what date it is. Okay. Yeah, so you you can actually see, the, the town you see is Arkham. Okay. So I, I believe that's actually where you maintain your residence oh that makes these days is that correct i don't know i think you said i'm somewhere around there so yeah i mean it would put me yeah in close proximity to uh was it the university right arkham yeah, yeah. so i'd probably live somewhere Which around is, there because you're primarily a pensioner but you do you know guest lectures and things of that nature plus you've known for a while now that the Orin library in arkham keeps some tomes that you've been interested in, although you've been rebuffed by that damnable librarian, Henry Armitage. My nemesis. Who won't let you in to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although that does bring up a point in your mind. You now contain, or you now hold, one of the books you know to be held in the restricted collection at the Orne Library. That has me slightly worried, but I'll worry about it when I'm hopefully inside my house. Okay, so you want to head towards your home yeah at the very least uh i'll begin walking that way and if need be i i can hail a cab and hopefully they'll take me okay yeah so um arkham's nothing like boston as far as size goes it's a it's a smaller college town although its population is inflated somewhat because of that fact and you walk up the low hill and it comes across a road that leads into of the towns and if you were to follow it the opposite direction it would take you to Bolton and you could see you have several hundred yards worth of walk along this road before you would reach the outskirts of Arkham. Oh. Alright Johan so you begin your long journey on your aching feet with a few cuts from who knows what along this road into Arkham and uh, you will see this image at a distance Sort of curious image. Let me show it to you. Actually, show it to everybody. I don't want to see. <laughs> Look at it. He sews his eyes shut. <laughs> I am a doctor. All right. So, yeah, you um, you see this at some distance, you know, uh, a car running to a telephone pole. Uh, <laughs> and some people standing around scratching their heads looking at it. 
And uh, you Probably recognize those that two car. kids. You saw it um, outside of the boarding house that you roomed at in Salisbury. Was that when we were Salisbury? Was that? Uh... That's the town. After you got off the train, you caught a ride with that uh, vendor and his truck, and you got a room. Okay. At a boarding house where you asked for uh, an edible room, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you you. <laughs> That's where you went to sleep, and then you, you know, you had your dream memory, and the next thing you know, you're outside of Arkham, which would be several hours' journey to the south, and you remember seeing this car parked outside of the boarding house. Uh, I guess I'll walk oh. over to, was it, there's a small crowd forming? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I'll kind of walk over to that, the small crowd, and, you know, like, what happened? What's going on? <laughs> Are they all right? And try to kind of get a look at uh, potentially the driver or passengers. Yeah, there's nobody in the car. Um, you do see laying on the uh, in in like the passenger area your pipe, actually. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I went full fear and loathing in Las Vegas, didn't I? But uh, the the gentleman you ask about, he says, "Oh, nobody saw it. They, you know the." This fellow lives in the house here, heard a big crash, and then he saw some guy run off into the woods yonder. Didn't get a good look at him. It was just a couple hours ago. They're trying to get horse and buggy up here to see if, or a horse team up here to see if they can, you know, pull it out of here. Uh, that's, that's most uh, rather odd. Uh, good day. <laughs> and I'll shamble off as quickly as I can in my advanced age. <laughs> Cursing that I lost a good pipe. Yeah, give me a... Uh, well, no, we don't need to listen and roll. But as you walk away, you know, the men that are talking amongst each other, they ask themselves, uh, I wonder if this has anything to do with the uh, attack at the at the library earlier this morning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened at the library? Uh, I guess somebody broke in, um, and there was, you know, an undergraduate working there this morning who was apparently attacked by a deranged individual who was trying to get, you know, into a room that she was working outside of. Dear gods, do do they have a description of this deranged individual? Uh, surely we must all be a, a very a god. <laughs> Not. Not that I've heard of, uh, heard any description. Uh, what? Probably some vagrant. Uh, uh, what, what luck is that we don't have a description? <laughs> Thank you again, young man. I'll start hobbling away faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of gives a quizzical look at your uh, lack of shoes. <laughs> it's a warm summer day. Yeah, well, you know, some of the kids standing around looking at it are barefoot as well, so it's not unprecedented. All right, so yeah, back on the streets of Arkham, they they suddenly seem not the familiar place you call home, but, you know, every window could be somebody who knows what you did. Uh, Or, you know, around every corner maybe could be a policeman who's looking for the deranged individual that apparently attacked a poor undergraduate at the library. (laughs) Oh, dang. So... What's your move? <laughs> I don't really think there's uh, much I uh, I can do. Uh, try to head home if I recognize where I am. If not, uh, I might have enough money to purchase a pair of shoes to get me home. 
in less vagrant, vagranty looking fashion. <laughs> yeah, you're well acquainted with Arkham, so finding a, a shoe shoe store or clothing store should be no problem. My pants are frayed. In fact, one uh, yes, they were. Uh, one wild idea creeps into your mind pending a successful history roll. Mm. Okay, so you know you've done some study on Arkham itself, the history of the city. Uh, you even did a lecture on it, and uh, one detail you picked up in your study of Arkham was that there's a culvert that runs along the main thoroughfares. You know, maybe maybe the best thing to do would be get, to get into this culvert system and and move incognito back to your home. No one would find you down there. <laughs> the way you said that. <laughs> Makes me very much wonder, uh, why not? <laughs> why not? I've, I've consigned myself to this fate. <laughs> All right, so you see, uh, um, like, you know the rough layout where you're standing. It runs in the main thoroughfares, and they're kind of at a slant coming down the hills, so the water just flows in this culvert system. But it's not a rainy uh part of the year so they should be mostly dry and uh, with some care you do see like a storm drain at the side of the road up by the curb there uh, that's pretty big you should be able to slide down that with no problem oh man oh I'm gonna encounter them damn mm. yeah uh, let's go for it okay I'll look so, around first make sure there's no one looking at me yeah seems clear and uh, unwitnessed uh, Johann Mueller slides into the storm drain, his bare feet slapping on the slightly damp uh, concrete culvert underneath Arkham. And we'll pause there with you for a moment. All right. All right. So Monroe and Andrews, you guys were going to leave the Hermetic yeah. Order. Is that right? All right. Just as you're about to exit and grab your coat, and you, with you know serendipitous timing, you meet up with Andrews, he's coming down the stairs and uh, one of the servants comes up and says a message for you, Mr. Monroe and he holds it. It's a telegram on an envelope on a silver platter which he holds out towards you. I say, lovely, good sir. Thank you for, for doing your job the best. To, I'm most grateful and I'll grab the letter and open it up and kind of look at uh, Dr. Andrews as, as he approaches it and say, and I Assume that all is well with uh, everything that was going on upstairs? Um, well, I'll wait until the that servant leaves, and then I'll say, uh, yes, I think he's made his escape. Very good, very good. Thanks to you for distracting that uh, He is a, a most unpleasant man, and he does not seem to care for you very much at all. Well, I assure you the feeling is mutual. Okay, so, so you... Yeah, you oh. Open that envelope and you pull out the telegram, which comes on a little card like that. You guys see all that, or you all see that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so this is a telegram from Johan. Um, Johan, did you want to read the telegram and maybe give the tone and tenor that you had when you composed it? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll give it a try. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, do you want me to read the very top part or just the? Uh... You can read just the okay. message. The other. Details uh, aren't our mutual friend has insisted that I visit Moosehead Lake. And caught up in the fever, I found that I could not resist. Be careful, his insistence seems near infectious. 
I'll be back as soon as I can catch the next train. Good enough? Yeah, that was Thank perfect. You. Thank you. Yeah. So how do you react to reading that, Mr. Monroe? Hmm. Well, kind of the first thought that pops in my mind is the ability that I acquired in Peru to force people to do things they don't particularly want to. Uh, that's going to pop up in my mind. And, of course, I'll pass the, the telegram on to Dr. Mer or Dr. Andrews and uh, be thinking to myself while I say, well, it appears that uh, Mr. Mueller is a bit out of commission at the moment, but we'll have to keep an eye out for this mutual friend that he, he mentions. Which... And hopefully when he returns, he can tell us which mutual friend he meant. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. And what might be at Moosehead Lake that he's interested in. At any rate, we can't afford to become distracted. Yes. Let, let's, let us uh, move on to dinner. I, I must admit that I am a bit famished at this point in the day. Okay. Okay, so... Or, yeah, yeah one ahead. sec, Brandon. Let me point out one detail. You can see he paid for an urgent message, which means uh, they'll have a courier make some effort to find you. So no matter where he sent it, they'll try to take it to wherever you currently are and also the message came from Newberry Port MTBA which is north in Massachusetts it's, it's quite a far north in Massachusetts and you understood that he was traveling to Arkham yeah. so that's a, that's apparently where he got off the line but anyhow yeah so you guys can uh, can head out and what were you going to say Brandon? Uh, nothing just what you're about to say that we will leave and start making our way to Detective Nick um you know, for dinner. Right. Okay, so Detective Wayne Nichols, yeah. he lives on the outskirt of towns, or of the town, sorry, and uh, and some effort, or d do one of you have a vehicle? No, I don't. I always forget who has a car. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't expect I do. I do. <laughs> what was your move? <laughs> I guess we could pop over to Whitmire real quick as you make it down that fire escape. Give me a luck roll. Not today. So yeah, you uh, you get to that ladder that is you know maybe twelve feet off the ground, and you climb down it, and it's just like a short hop. So you maybe drop three feet to get to the ground, and uh, as you're brushing yourself off and looking around, you see there's um, a groundskeeper there, just kind of looking at you speculatively, uh, but he returns to trimming his hedges. You gotta kill him. <laughs> I've talked with him before. I believe. What, uh, is it the same one that I had talked to, I think, the first time we came here? No, it is a different guy, but you you are once again struck with the fact that he doesn't really look like a groundskeeper. And even from this distance, you can see the sunken knuckles on his hands. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll tell him that uh, you always want to make sure that these things work or in good working shape. You know, you never know when a fire is going to break out. And then I'll put my hands in my pockets and start walking away, whistling in a tune. <laughs> yeah, he uh, makes no comment, returns to his work, and uh, off you go. What was your next move? You weren't you weren't going to go to the dinner, though, were you? No, I'm not going to the dinner because I don't know if uh, Detective uh, Terry knew about it or yeah, was going to try and follow those two over there. As I was going to try and catch a, a late train um, out to the uh, Miskatonic um, University area. 
or library. Okay. Yeah. Wherever okay. Uh, Monroe had wanted us to go so I could acquire something for him. So I was going to head out that way and then um, try and get a, a room. All right. So we'll we'll come back to you and we'll head back over to Andrews and Monroe. So you guys at range uh, transport to the outskirts of town where it turns out that Detective Wayne Nichols is as wealthy as most people in the order. And that's demonstrated by the, the large house. It, it was like an old country house by the look of it, but somebody who was well-to-do or had a large farm because it's, you know, big and rambling. But it's been modified for uh, this century's tastes and whatnot. Uh, and there you are. And when you knock at the door, you're greeted by Detective Nichols himself, who seems pleased to see you, although somewhat confused to see only two of you. And he says, uh, gentlemen, good to see you. Uh, where, where are your, or where is your friend, Mr. Whitmire? I'm afraid he's indisposed and has left town unexpectedly. Uh, same with Johan. Is he not going to help out? Him even more unexpectedly. Well, that's fine. I guess we'll just have to eat hearty, uh, make up for the lack of mouths. Uh, come in, come uh, in. I shall accept that challenge, my good friend. Okay. So he uh, leads you into the dining area, and he says, uh, my wife, Fiona, he says it'll be a minute longer for the meal to be prepared. Uh, would you guys care for an appetizer? And, you know, that appetizer was in quotes as he goes to the uh, liquor cabinet there and pulls out booze. That would be most appreciated. You are such a gracious host, my friend. And how is Boston treating you, Mr. Andrews? Um, well... I've always enjoyed Boston. So far, so good. I did have a encounter with some hired muscle recently that put a bad taste in my mouth, but I was able to handle it. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Was it related to what I asked you guys to look into? Yes. Uh, some people trying to convince me to stop looking into this matter. Well, I was afraid of that, and I understand if you wanted to cease any investigation, I... I don't mean to put any of you in danger, that's for sure. No, I have no intention of dropping this investigation. Well, I'm also relieved to hear that. Well, let's let's have a seat, have a drink, and we can talk a little bit what, about what you guys have discovered so far. So yeah, he uh, asked a couple of questions, and um, so are you going to leave any details back where you are at in the investigation or anything like that? I'm not. Hmm. Uh, all of the things that I've discovered are perfectly um, natural and mundane. I haven't, you know, come across any weirdness, so I, I'm not going to hold any of the stuff I've discovered back from him. Okay. So as you guys, you know, spend some minutes going over the details and whatnot, you uh, both are looking around the room, as one does when they're in a house that's not theirs, taking in all the knickknacks they have here and there, and you see on... The mantle of a fireplace, although it appears to be more decorative than used, a strange figurine um, of like a toad-shaped figure. It's maybe six inches or eight inches in height, and it's just sitting up there on the mantle, and it piques both of your interests because you're both astute in matters of the occult. Okay. And uh, you can give me a Cthulhu Mythos roll. Oh, these ones are always tricky. Yeah. About what I expected. I I got better than Monroe did. Yes, you Bring did. Some luck. So, at least I'm better than you. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, so, it, you know, it, it looks, with your occult knowledge, you guys would guess it to be, you know, perhaps some sort of sect, religious sect that, you know, worships animal, like animism, that sort of thing. But it is quite interesting, and it, it's, it appears to be pretty ancient, as far as you can tell. So he, Dr. or sorry, Detective Nichols is somewhat fascinated with the detail surrounding the Corbett House and the Church of Contemplation grounds. And he professes at that time to say that he was aware of your organization. You know, I, I looked into the SCU a little bit because that name came up around, you know, the murder that happened outside of Mr. Dooley's in the Corbett House. And the fact that Dooley was right across the street from it. And I was always fascinated in that detail. And with you guys being, you know, more acclimated to, I don't know how you'd want to word it, like uh, spiritualism, the occult, you know, odd little details like that. Do you, do you have any inkling of whether or not, you know, the events, because I read what your SEU report, I, I had them send it down from the college there. As part of my investigation, not that any of your members were persons of interest. You know, I just try to look into everything. Do you think that there's something like that going on? I believe that there's a very good possibility, um, at the very least, from the information that we've discovered. It appears that some members of whatever cult was involved in the uh, church of, or the cult of the starry wisdom at the church may also be involved in this as the same symbology is found in both places, it, which actually leads me to a question that I may have had. Uh, the report that, of the uh, arrest at the church had quite a bit that was redacted, and I was wondering if you have any channels that you might be able to uh, uncover some of the names that were associated with who was in that basement? Ordinarily, I do. Uh, in present circumstances, unfortunately, if I were to use those channels i would put my job at risk i'm already in trouble with the lieutenant as it is yes it seems that uh the good sergeant logan terry is also rather against anyone looking into this matter as well ah yes if you're not wary of him already i i suggest you keep an eye out i am i know the man our similar occupations you know we communicate quite often at the order but uh he strikes me as the variety of, you know, old cop, the old ways type of cop, and uh, not at all how I would like to see things done and how I conduct myself. Bit of a of a rough, if you ask me. But um, you know, this detective James Barrister, the one who wrote the report, if I remember correctly, he's retired and lives outside of Boston. That might be a way to cut through all this redaction you see here, if he's willing to talk to you. Well. You know, despite the fact that most of the words in any conversation may exit my mouth, I tend to have a, a knack at getting people to reveal some details in the process as well. Perhaps I'll stop by and see what I can find out. Yeah, it couldn't hurt to talk to him. And what other leads do you guys plan to follow? We intend to go to the asylum and meet with a... A doctor that works there and talk about the young boy. And uh, if that goes well, I intend to 
try to meet with the boy himself and see if I can make any headway. Because I'm most interested in how he was uh, able to sign a confession, allegedly, despite being completely nonverbal with everyone that has encountered him. Yeah, I don't understand it. You know, my partner got this signature while I was on leave. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't always a detective here in Boston. You know, I've done police work other places. And I was somewhat naive to the inner workings of big city police work. And I don't think that it's always on the level. The first thing that, you know, made my suspicions rise was the fact that it was typed. You know, it's not all in his writing, which isn't entirely unusual, but it would be much easier to coerce somebody into signing a random piece of paper put in front of them than getting them to write up a whole confession. And uh, I never did get a good look at it, you know, to, to get a read on it to see if it, it felt like his words. And plus, there's the problem of Charlie not speaking in all of our interviews. Well, I did read Mr. Dooley's journal and uh he speaks of charlie quite a bit and he he experienced some frustrations with the boy largely due in uh, to the fact that he was not very communicative so i find it (coughs) extremely hard to believe that he would have been able to sign a confession let alone write or type one out so i'm quite convinced that he's being railroaded here in order to close this case Especially when factoring in that uh, the coroner was paid to sign his report with details missing that he w- that he knew were missing. I'm glad you were able to suss out that information. I talked with Dr. Dyclaw a little bit uh, and was not able to get to that point. But I didn't have a favorable impression of the man. He was far too arrogant for, for my tastes. But um, maybe if I can aid you in a way... One thing I have found when it comes to murders is, well, first off, you're most likely to be killed by somebody you know. So most of our investigation is interviewing, you know, people close to the victim and really digging into the history of the circumstances that made that, you know, that made that person take that action to kill somebody. And you'd be surprised at the level of history involved to get to that point, you know, sometimes these grudges can go on for a lifetime. So I just want to encourage you guys that no detail is too small. And since it seems you're being stonewalled when you take direct approaches, that maybe coming at it from an angle might have some benefit. You know, I, if I had been given more time, if my caseload wasn't so high, I would have looked more into what your members found at the the Corbett House, and the Church of Contemplation for any link, especially now that I see Mr. Dooley's journey, journal talks about the eye symbol painted on his door, because from what I recall recall of the SEU investigation, that was also found at the church grounds. Seems like an obvious connection to look into. What do you think? I believe that would be most helpful. Yes, especially. I do have, I do have some questions about some other members of the order that you may, may know. Um, First of all, one, uh, Mr. Dr. Call, uh, yes. he, he's uh, expressed some interest in, and we have kind of roped him in on some minor level in, in helping us in finding some contacts and 
just want to double check and make sure that he's on the up and up and not someone that we need to be cautious of. Well, I wouldn't be suspicious of him. I would just be more concerned of, you know, who he might speak to. His his curiosity was seemed to be his driving attribute, you know. <clears throat> I didn't okay. feel like he was very discreet. Uh, he, he didn't seem to have much compunction when it came to asking about details of, you know, what, whatever current case I was looking into, even when he must know that those matters are are secret, at least until... They come out in public records. And then the other member of the order that, that we were curious about is uh, the good lawyer, Dr. James Clark. He's a man that uh, we had approached as far as, you know, what the law, some legal um, concerns on what the law states as far as forced confessions and, and those kinds of matters. Well, as I understand it, he works for Clark and Antonello Criminal Defense uh, they have a pretty good reputation here in town of doing quality defense. But I, you know, like as a police officer, usually I'm at odds with, with defense attorneys because they're picking apart the case that we put against somebody. So I don't know him well. We just have that natural antithesis. I've only exchanged pleasantries. In your experience, is he defended people justly or is he uh one of the more shady types well i believe he is is a lawyer good (laughs) he is good he's a lawyer which i think is the same as saying he's a shady type so okay but that that could be my prejudice and uh at that point fiona nichols comes in with the she's carrying a platter like a big platter that has you know the top on it but some help comes in behind her with the other dishes and suddenly the room is busied with food being laid out, and it proves to be a rather large roast. And she makes introductions, you know, and she has that kind of cheery or that unstoppably cheery attitude. And uh, she seems to be in her element to have guests almost maybe like she had a, a hunger for it. And it's been a long time, so maybe almost too eager. But she says, or yeah, at that point, Dr. Nichols stands up, or sorry. Detective Nichols stands up and he says, oh, allow me to introduce my wife. This is uh, Fiona. This is Dr. Andrews and Mr. Monroe. They're helping me with an issue I have. And she, you know, makes small talk. She seems to be most concerned about your families or if you have girlfriends or wives. Do you guys share those sorts of details? Yeah, I don't really have anything to hide. I'm single and not dating anyone, so. And what about you, uh, Dr. Andrews? Are you married? Uh, no, ma'am. I was, but my <laughs> wife and daughter were taken by the flu I'm, a few years ago. Haven't yeah, so with you know, had the desire to start looking again since then. Uh, Brandon, just as you look over the woman, go ahead and give me a medicine roll. Okay. <laughs> so you um you pick out a few small details that they don't really concern you, but you just think she might be afflicted by something. Uh, she looks, you know, a little pale. Uh, at Every now and then she'll press her, you know, the fist of her right hand kind of just below her, her sternum. And, uh, you know, like uh, she'll have kind of a pained look for a moment. But she expresses sympathies for the loss of your wife and daughter. Very genuine sympathies. 
to such a degree that you actually see, you know, a slight shining in her eyes as they're, they've welled up a little bit. And she commiserates and says, yes, sir, I think we've all be, been afflicted by that disease. Um, if you'd like, I, I attend Mass regularly. Uh, if, you would, if, it, if it's okay with you, I'd like to light a candle for your wife and daughter and offer a prayer. Uh, yes. That that would be okay. That's that's very thoughtful. Yeah, and you're Catholic background, right? Well, no, like I had been an atheist, but um, when I went to Peru, um, I sort of started becoming a Catholic because there was that priest that let me stay and work at his hospital. So I'm like newly part Catholic. Okay. Well, you, yeah, you know she's just talking about what next time she attends service, you know, there's usually an opportunity for people to pray individually when there's not, you know, the sermon going on, when Mass isn't being conducted. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's, that's what she's referring to. But, yeah, you, you think she's been affected by some sort of minor bug or something like that. But in any case, she's like, well, right, let's, let's get down to it. Um, this is all Detective Nichols asked for is red meat, red meat, more red meat. He doesn't even eat the potatoes or the vegetables. And he looks, for his part, slightly embarrassed at her talking about that. But the food proves to be expertly prepared and is quite tasty. You know, you have that fork tender roast, uh, potatoes that have soaked up all of the flavor from the roast. Um, and it's all really good. But you're growing more concerned, Dr. Andrews, as you watch the good wife, Nichols, as she, she doesn't touch her plate at all. And she keeps, you know, pressing her fist to her stomach. Uh, right. So I'll, um, I'll say, uh, Mrs. Nichols, you know, doctors really don't have a, an off switch. And I just can't help but notice that you, you seem to be in a bit of pain. Is there anything... Uh, Anything wrong with you that I might be able to help with? Oh, no, I'm fine. Just flustered is all. It's been some time since uh, we've had any guests here. You know, we haven't made many connections in, in Boston. I try. You know, I've joined the Women's Auxiliary at the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight, but all those women there come from money, and, uh, you, you know, we're we're new money, as it were, and so I don't make very good connections. And in the middle of this excited babbling, she suddenly stands bolt upright, and vomits a huge mass of stuff out onto the dinner table. <laughs> and it takes a moment for you to even uh, recognize what has come out of her stomach. It doesn't look like the normal chewed up food and bile and all that sort of stuff as you guys all scoot back in your chairs a little bit to avoid the splash. But then you realize you see an enormous amount of different buttons, you know, different shapes and sizes, some metal, some some wooden, uh, all different colors. You even see a thimble in this mass of vomit on the table. And I'll go ahead and take a sanity roll from each of you. <laughs> oh. Can you l luck a sanity roll? Uh, I don't believe so. Let me let's let me check on that one moment. I'm just gonna exclaim, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, uh, that is one of the things you cannot use luck on. So, yeah, you absorb it um, pretty well, Mr. Monroe. It's not any more strange than a, a fat larva being taken out of a man. 
Yep. In fact, it's quite less strange. Uh, but you, on the other hand, uh, you jump back and just, you know, you just exclaim something and it takes a moment for you to gather your wits and for the doctor to take over. But you only lose one point of sanity there, Brandon. Okay. Down. So we had Monroe's reaction. He just, <laughs> with a big grin on his face or something, he's like, fascinating. So what, <laughs> what do you do, Andrews? Yeah, so I'll jump into action then. Um, I'll grab my bag and, um, you know, examine her. You know, the things a doctor would do when someone vomits out uh, weird items. Like, do I have um, any knowledge of, like, the condition that causes people to eat non-food items? Uh, give me a hard medicine roll. Because I know there is something. No. Again, it's not really your field of expertise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're. Uh, this is a first for you. You know, I mean, you. There have been. You have read stories about surgeries where objects, you know, had to be removed that, for whatever reason, people try to eat, but you didn't understand what compelled them to do that. Of course, you know there are tons of mental illnesses that do that. Uh, for your part, since you're a little bit cooler, Mister Monroe, you see that Detective Nichols was shocked at this, but he. After his moment of open mouth, you know, gaping at his wife, he can't seem to help himself from forking more roast into his mouth. Just the roast. Mm. And uh, we will close the scene with you guys with um, Fiona's mortified expression as she looks at this mass of buttons and, you know, sewing accoutrements that she vomited on the table. And we'll head over to Whitmire. So, James, you don't have any luck finding a train out to Arkham there are still trains running, but it seems the last to Arkham, or the last that would connect you to one to Arkham, has departed by the time you get to the train station. When is the next one? Six o'clock in the morning. Okay. And are there any hotels close to this train station? Or yeah. rooms, yeah. I guess? Even like a, what, a, I don't think it'd be like a boarding house, but that type of deal. Yeah, you can definitely find a place to stay. Um... Also, I know you had mentioned that you wanted to look at the crime scene maybe at night or Mr. Dooley's shop. Did you want to use this night to do that or just get a good night's rest? Um, I think I'm going to uh, sleep on this one because I don't want to put myself out there any more than I need to be till I get out of here. Okay, so we will leave you in a hotel room awaiting the morning train that will connect you to one going to Arkham, and we will come back to Johan Muller as he has slipped into a culvert, and he's now <laughs> beneath Arkham. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty dark in there, although intermittently you have lights coming from other storm, dra storm drains or for a, from like a manhole cover. Mm -hmm. And I won't... Uh, the, only, the only reason I'm having you roll a navigation is to see if you fumble. Oh. But you... Your knowledge of the culvert should be enough to get you close to your home. Navigation is not Johan's strong point. Here we go. Uh, that's pretty close, and it's not a fumble. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's, you can look that to get a skill up. Uh, you can't look to skill, uh, get a skill. Point, oh, that's yeah. right. Push it. <laughs> he said I didn't need to. It was just checking for a fumble. 
Okay. So yeah, you have no problems. It's just the matter of distance you must traverse. Although when you're, you know, halfway to where you think you need to be, you hear like a, a patter of feet on the concrete mm. somewhere down away off that you weren't planning on going. And uh, you hear a weird sound. It's, it's, it's like a vocalization of something, but it's just some, there's no language in it. It's just a weird, like gibbering sound. But then it goes quiet. I'll just say out loud that uh, uh, we are just strangers passing. I will go mine way and you will stay yours. <laughs> and I'll try to stay in some light. <laughs> Start moving away from it as long as it keeps me on course. Okay. Yeah, you can move away from it. No problem. At, although you swear you see a shape look out from this alternative way. and uh, But then maybe not. I see no shape. And so you continue on. <laughs> you don't want to see it. You don't want to get that sanity loss again. Um, and it, you know, maybe it was just the mind playing tricks on you, but you managed to make it to your, or to the to a storm drain that you can slide out of, crawl your way out of, and you give a quick look around, and you know your house should be just on the other row of these houses near All you. All right, so I will go... Um, like I guess the nearest corner where I could view my house and make sure it's not swarmed <laughs> with police yeah. or anything. Yeah, it it remains undisturbed. You see your um, humble abode, you know, something a, a pensioner would mm -hmm. live in. Plenty of space space for a lifelong bachelor. Although you are running out of space for the books you've accumulated over the years, and it also has an earthen basement. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll uh, give a quick look around, uh, see if there's anyone other than myself that is very strange or outlandish at this point. If no one... Nope, okay. everything looks undisturbed. Then much like I scurried through the storm drain, I will scurry into my house um, and I'll give a listen at the door once I'm inside and, you know, make sure it's, everything's quiet. Okay. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing in in anywhere in the house as far as you can ascertain. <sighs> Thank God. All right, and then I'll go over to a random pile of books. I will pick it up almost like I'm cutting a deck of cards, and I'll place the uh, was it der der or der vermis de vermis yeah, mysterious. De vermis mysterious into or if oh, you go for it. If you prefer, we could just call it the Book of Worms yeah. as it's translated. And I'll place the Book of Worms in the middle of the, where I would have cut these this pile of books and place that on top as hopefully a kind of a, like if anyone comes looking for it, good luck finding it type of thing, right? Right, yeah. Better to hide <laughs> it out in the open. Uh, then I'll go about uh, cleaning myself up and uh, getting a different, uh, or getting new clothes and throwing away these old grungy uh torn up ones okay so yeah you uh you get changed you get cleaned up as as best you can uh you look at your feet see if the wounds need attention but they seem to be okay although you do pick a small fragment of glass out of one of the cuts and uh everything is well is as well as it can be expected considering you're not entirely sure what happened for the last, you know, I'd say 14 hours when you finally get a look at a, a clock. 
All right, so it's the 14th. And, right, yeah, you have a paper, or you, you get the Arkham Argus, which uh, has the date on it, so you can just see it's the next day. So the time you missed was, you know, sometime very early this morning until until just recently. And what time is it currently? Uh, it's like 2 o'clock okay. currently. So I guess I'll get dressed, uh, put some new shoes on, uh, go over to uh, my pipe rack, frown at the missing slot where my pipe would have been. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I have multiples. Most pipe smokers do because you they want to rotate them. At least that's what the myth is. <laughs> but I'll... Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I would expect you, you okay. do. So yeah, I'll grab a, another one, fill one of my pouches with tobacco and head out to send a, uh, telegram to, uh, my, my companions. Okay. And what are you going to tell them? Uh, that I have made it back to Arkham, that I believe I may have found, um, a piece of the puzzle or the, uh, yeah, I guess I'll work. And uh, to be wary of a man that uh, speaks with, uh, it's not quite a lisp, but would a lisp work for a description? Yeah, that's fine. Maybe wary isn't uh, the right word. Maybe like be on the lookout for our mutual friend who speaks with a lisp. Okay. All right. So you're able to send off that telegram. Uh, what's your move after that? I don't know if I want to start looking through that book. I think... Uh, oh, but you've been looking for it for like the better part of a year I, now, even longer I maybe. I think I will give it a perusal, but not a full full study. Um, and I'll be on the lookout mainly for something that the uh, Liber Ivanis might point to in this book. So something to do with the cult. Okay. Or uh, was it the cult of starry wisdom or the eye symbol? Let me share the Avermis Mysterious with you oh and i'll cook myself up some buttons and hair for dinner <laughs> okay so that's do you see the image of of your book mm -hmm. yeah so it's uh black leather um uh, or a dark very dark brown uh very aged it's quite a lengthy tome you can see towards the end you're in the 700s for the page count it is written in latin mm, that's going to be a problem for me um there's some 16 chapters. The inside page has the inscription in Latin, Tibi manum inomenanum senia stellarum nigrarum eta bufanaformis sadoque sigillium. You want to try a Latin roll? Yeah, I can give it a try, but I might have to uh, pawn this off on some poor... Uh, Undergrad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just bring it to me. Latin, Latin, Latin. There we go. Ah! That's how you raise the skill. Oh, yeah. Thank you for my Very nice. <laughs> okay, so uh, a rough translation of that would be, it seems to be a dedication. Mm -hmm. There's no title page or copyright information. The book kind of predates those practices. But it does have a dedication that says, To you, the great not to be named, signs of the black stars, and the seal of the toad-shaped Sadoque, mm -hmm. which uh, bears in its spelling... Um, a name that you remembered from the figurine, which now that it is in your head, you don't seem to have it on your person. You're not sure if you left it back at the boarding house or what. But uh, you had you had recalled the name uh, Zagua. Mm -hmm. But there's a similarity in in language that they might be connected. Okay. Uh, with that check, you also get uh, the opening paragraph, which says, 
I will speak of the oldest god of all Egypt, reveal the lore of the Ifrit and the Jinn, the secrets of the assassin sects, the myths of the Arabian ghoul tales, the hidden practices of dervish cults, and the legends of inner Egypt. And then that's followed by a, a fragment of poetry. Now, I will uh, <coughs> give a bonus luck increase to whoever wants to do a dramatic reading of this poem for me. <laughs> Any takers? Uh, luck? Yeah. My luck's fine. Um, I'm not I, seeing it. I could, uh, where is it? Uh, let me share it. Uh, let me give you some direction too. Who's going to take it? I could definitely use a little bit more luck. Okay, do you see it? Yep. All right, so all the the gravitas and seriousness you can muster, Mr. Monroe. <laughs> all right, here we go. And at the last from inner Egypt came the strange dark one to whom the fellas bowed, silent and lean and cryptically proud, and wrapped in fabrics red as sunset flame, throngs pressed around frantic for his commands, but leaving could not tell what they had heard, for while though the nation spread the awestruck word, that wild beast followed him and licked his hands. Soon from the sea a noxious birth began, forgotten lands with weedy spires of gold. The ground was cleft and mad auroras rolled, down on the quacking citadels of man. Then, crushing what he had chanced to mold in play, the idiot chaos blew earth's dust away. All right, thank you. Masterfully done. Why did I read that Thank in you. Monroe's voice? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't get my voice out of your head. It, it's it's my personal curse on everyone. He so snubbed you in your historical uh, battle early on in the, the season that he, he lives rent-free in your head ah, now to some my degree. My second lesson, Nemesis. <laughs> um, go ahead. Hmm? Were you going to say something, Justin? Oh, he's not the only one that, that curses Monroe's voice <laughs> in his head. So you know that reference card which you put into your pocket, which still is there, although somewhat the worse for wear from, you guess, waiting a little bit in the Miskatonic uh, River or somewhere else that was wet? Too. Right. <laughs> uh, by some miracle, the page number that references this in Chapter 12 of the Book of the Worm is still there. So with the same Latin roll, if you want, I will give you that information. All right. Let's give it a try. Uh, oh. No, you don't have oh, to do a new roll. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. I just I wasn't gonna push you to keep reading. Um, yeah. Okay. So this, the page says this: From whence they came, none can say. Perhaps they are the constructs of beings who dwell on phases beyond the kin of humanity. The carpenter who was taken writhed and babbled about seeing places and versions of events that could not be. Ultimately, he said the thing had taken him to a long, gray, oozing plain beneath skies where the fumes of hell were writhing like a million ghostly and distorted dragons. Perhaps these hunters from beyond can be compelled to travel to spaces and times at the wishes of the summoner. More tests are in order, but the summoning is far too difficult and dangerous. I've lost three subjects and cannot afford more. Two were taken to only the gods nowhere, and the third was torn asunder with the same ease a child might pluck the legs from an insect. However, the priest told me of means by which to imbue unalloyed metal with a power that made the hunter submissive. Alas, that I had more subjects whose blood I could wash the metal in. And we will close the scene there for this session on Mr. Mueller 
perusing the Book of the Worm as the sun sets on a sleepy Arkham. Thanks for playing, guys. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, thank you. Man. Yeah. It was a good session. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Travis. All right. Yeah, you guys are welcome. Let's get those luck rolls and skill rolls. Nah. Let's go with Latin. Oh. This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.